you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 this morning, and we're, again, keeping in the Advent season, and so we're looking at the different themes, and so last week we looked at hope, this week we're looking at love, and so we're looking at the perspective of this coming from verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and we ought to love one another. Let me give you a true story. It's a professor at a Christian college, and he gave his class a writing assignment, a one-page essay analyzing whether their lives have been shaped by the threat of the law or the wonder of God's grace. And when he received the papers back from the class, he was devastated by the results because over 90% of the class admitted privately that the possibility of God's disfavor and his wrath had shaped their Christian outlook since childhood. See, God's unending love was not foremost in their minds, but his possible displeasure was. Christianity, they reported, was really about following the rules. And when the professor told them that it was not, you could hear a pin drop. And some stated that this was the first time they'd ever heard the good news of a loving God. See, the question for us, and hopefully what you hear quite often, is not about what you do wrong, but how a loving God gave for you. And so I'm going to pray that you hear the words this morning, that you don't come looking for what, how God's going to get you but you see how God has loved you from eternity past. So let's look at the passage. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. For anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we had loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, for no one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is your word. This is the good news that you've given to us, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. To reestablish a relationship that was broken by sin, but finds reconciliation and propitiation in Jesus Christ. So, Father, let us hear of the great love that you've given to us and that we should be giving to one another this morning. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see is that God is love. And as we begin to unpack this, we need to probably ask the question, How do we define love? Because we live in America and we use love for many different things. 
We can say, I love my cup of coffee. But we understand that in the context, that's different than saying, I love my wife. And that's different than saying, I love my friends. Because the English language is messed up at best. It's a hard language. It's a language that's, that doesn't make sense a lot of the times. And yet, the, the Greeks had it a little bit better. And there are multiple uh, names for love. And so we're going to just unpack just a few of them, four of them, that are distinctive in the scriptures. And the first one is storge. It's a familiar love, which means that you, you don't have to like your family members, but you're called to love your family members. And so there is that sense of when you use storge, um, that's what you're talking about. You're talking a familiar, um, familiar uh, love that you have in the midst of it. But that you also have in the scripture the word that's called phileo. And this is brotherly love. Okay, And this is, again, where people tell you all the time that Philadelphia is the, the city of brotherly love. And it's a, it's a love that goes out to those around you. And it is affectionate love, but it's a, a love that's more um, in tune of I love you and accept you. There's also the word in the scripture that talks about eros, or it's a passionate love. And it's usually uh, used between a husband and his wife. Okay, and so that's the understanding. But there's also the one that's kind of taken to an extreme, or the ultimate word of love, and it's called agape. And agape is an unselfish giving love. And it's this, if you go back to the Greek, you would see that it's the agape love that's talked about here in the scripture. And so when you begin to, to look at that and you begin to see how they define that God is love, it's talking about the, the greatness of the agape love. It's talking about the unselfishness. It's talking about the giving of the love. Now, again, we talk about um, God in the sense that God is love, but we have to remember that this is not like we're talking about human beings. Uh, this person is loving, God is not just loving, he is love. He's the essence of it, it's the definition. So God is love and it's not like human love. And we need to remember and remind ourselves about that because God is in a very special relationship with us in the sense that he can be both holy and yet intimate. Now how can that happen? See, God is perfect in all of his attributes. The apostle Paul, or Apostle John, excuse me, uh, defines Jesus in at least of these four ways. He does a little bit more, but he does it specifically in these four ways. He says, God is one, a spirit. He says, two, God is light. God is holy and God is love. Now, if we kind of look at that, we can kind of narrow that down of saying that God is in the midst of doctrine. God cares about morals and God cares about love. Now, here's the reality. Those are the definitions for us to ask the question of, am I a Christian? And you can ask yourself, do I meet those criteria? Do, do I truly believe the doctrine? Do I understand and believe the word of God as it's given to us in scripture? But you can believe the word of God and not be a moral person. So you can live, uh, you can read and you can believe everything in the word, but live a life that's contrary to what you have and what you read and what you hear. But you can also be someone who is morally pure, someone who is doctrinally pure and not love. So you can know all the answers. You can be upright. But when it comes to loving the people around you, you don't care. You don't care. 
Or you can flip-flop it. You can be so much about love that that becomes the ultimate. That all that matters is that we love one another. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you believe. Let's all just be happy and get along. But here's the reality. God is perfect in his character. And so God is able to have no one attribute greater than the other. So when he loves, he loves perfectly. When he brings justice, he perfectly brings justice. When he shows mercy, he perfectly shows mercy. He is perfect in all that he has. There is never a compromise in his character. He is perfectly just and perfectly loving at all times. So that should be a, a, a sincere welcome to us. Why? Because it's not God loves me just when I'm being blessed. Because we think of it that way sometimes. If I'm being blessed, if good things are happening to me, God loves me. But when trials come, when hardships come, well, then I must have been doing something wrong. The same God who gives you perfect love gives perfect justice, gives perfect trials. And that should encourage us because it means we're never outside of the perfect will of God. And so it's understanding that, again, he never compromises his character. It's not like it's not like us where we say things, well, I just acted out of character. This isn't the real me. That never happens to God. Perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly intimate. But he gives us that love and he brings about the love that defines him in the midst of active love. What do I mean by that? Well, active love, we understand that love is a test. Do you understand that? Love is a test. And it's it's lived out because, listen, anyone can talk a good game. Anyone. I use this example in a lot of the weddings uh, that I perform. It's a real poem that's given, and it was written to uh, a husband to a wife. And he writes in the poem, and uh, it was used multiple times, uh, but he says this, for you are the one. That's the title. You are the one. And he begins to make these great things. I would climb the highest mountain peak. I would swim the deepest ocean. I would walk the hottest desert. And someone using this poem uh, wrote this to his, his lover and then said this, P.S. I'll be over if it doesn't rain. Do you get that? Here he just said this poem. He made all these great statements. I would, I would climb the highest mountain peak. I would cross the hottest desert. I would swim the deepest ocean. But if it's raining, I can't come because I don't want to get wet. See, that's how we are. And we talk a great game, but God is the one who gets love into action. And love is active. It is the thing that is lived out. But the thing becomes is we start to struggle then, don't we? Because we look at God and we go, we know he is love. But how do we know it? It's invisible. And so God does something very incredible in the first advent. He allows the invisible love of God to become physical in the incarnation of the baby Jesus. And see, we get that, don't we? We we understand. How do you prove that you went on vacation? You buy those little trinkets. 
When I went to St. Martin, one of the things is my wife's always like, I don't want to go to the, to the regular stores. I want to go to the, to the native people and, um, I want to haggle with them and, and do that. But I still had to go down the street and it was in a little alleyway and I'm talking to the lady and I'm just like, is this from China? Is this from China? No, 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 no. I carved this. Because we wanted the real thing, right? We want the trinket. We wanted to prove that this was created in St. Martin by someone who lives in St. Martin. So we can come home and said, I went to St. Martin. We do the same thing with pictures. God gives us this picture where he gives his son in the form of an infant. So as we begin to see, we have to understand that God is love and he's love and agape, he's holy and intimate, perfect, and he's active. Then he begins to tell us about the incarnation. Now the incarnation, okay, specifically, is obviously where the birth of Jesus, listen, is the unveiling of God's heart. And I want you to grasp that. God is giving his son. And, and again, I use this often, and I think it's it's a great example, because there there are people in this room that I love incredibly. And if you asked for my car, I would gladly give it to you. Even if you asked for my new Xbox, not the old one, but the new Xbox, and you wanted the new Xbox, I would give it to you. If you asked me to fly around the world, I would do it for some of you. But the thing I would not do is give up my children. I wouldn't do it. I don't care who you are. And yet God, in his mercy, grace, and listen, his great love for you, gives his son. And he didn't just start loving us at the moment that Jesus was born. Listen, he decided from all eternity past that he was going to love us. And so he gives us his son in this incarnation, Emmanuel, with us. But as God gives, listen, Jesus also freely understands what he's doing. Think about what Christ gives up. I mean, we, we, you heard the prayer, you've, you've sang the songs. I mean, God, Jesus gives up a whole lot. He gives up perfection. He gives up the streets of gold. He gives up everyone who's doing his will perfectly. He is the king already. He is the Lord of lords already. He is the creator. He is a sustainer. So what does he get? Sinners. He comes and humbles himself. And he becomes the creator, becomes the created. And the one who is perfect, the one who is perfectly loving, perfectly holy, becomes to a people who could care less. Who abuse him. Who belittle him. Who spit on him. And yet, because of his great love for us, he gives 
And not only did he humble himself, but he begins to also understand that, again, he came as our propitiation. Now, this is a big word, and it's it's a word that we need to study. But I, I want you to know that the Son of God comes, listen, not as a life coach. He's not Dr. Phil. He's not Oprah. He's not Dr. Oz. He's, he's not Joel Olstein. He's not coming to give you your best life now. Jesus came for a very specific reason. And that specific reason, according to scripture, was propitiation. And what is propitiation? Propitiation was Jesus comes in to take away God's just judgment and wrath. And God was right to have that. We broke the law. We brought sin to be. We deserve to die. We deserve hell. We deserve it. And God is perfectly just to send us there. And yet in his perfect love, he gives to us his son who freely comes. And Jesus knew from the very beginning that his purpose here was to shed his blood to cover our sins. So that we might be in a right relationship with God the Father. Do you grasp and understand what the greatest story truly is? That Jesus comes incarnate in this little infant child, humbles himself, submits himself, grows but yet contains, still remains perfect, so that he might be the perfect sacrifice for us. And as he becomes that perfect sacrifice, listen, God's inspiring love, his generous affection, now therefore, listen, compels us to love. It compels us to love. See, we live in response to the love that God has given to us in Christ. And that's what he's telling us. He says, hey, you want to know what love is? Then love the people around you. See, and again, that's easy to say, hard to do. And one of the things is we have a misunderstanding today about what love means. If you talk to most counselors, hear what they say. First of all, love yourself. And once you figure out how to love yourself, then you can love others. Now, with all respect to people who counsel, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Love yourself so that you can love others. True love is just the polar opposite. You want to know what love is? Give yourself away. Love when it's hard. Love when it's uncomfortable. Love when it's inconvenient. If not, it's just like the rest of the world. Of course I can love people who love me. You do this all the time. Someone gives you a gift that you weren't expecting. What's your first response? I got to get them a gift. They got me a gift, so now I got to give them a gift. And if they're somebody you like, you actually go buy a new gift. They're not somebody that you care about. You re-gift. Hey, this person brought some caramel corn. We're not going to eat the caramel corn. Let's give the caramel corn to them. Everything's good. The world does that. What about loving only those who can do something for you? The world does that. 
But he says, I want you to love one another. Which means this, love is not optional. Because God loves us, we are to love one another. Now here's the reality check. We're still sinners. So does that mean that we wound each other? Yes. Does that mean that we offend one another? Yes. Does that mean we hurt one another? Yes. Some of us do it purposely. Some of us don't even know that we've done it to other people. But do we love the way that the world loves? Do we start saying, well, I'm just not going to deal with them. That's how I'm going to love them. So when they come down the hallway, I'm going to go on the opposite side of the hallway. I'm going to turn around and go away somewhere else because I don't want to talk to them. Because if I talk to them, I would be unfriendly. And I'm a Christian and I don't want to be unfriendly. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. See, he calls us to love the way that God has loved. One of the writers of a commentary said this, believers who are so completely healed inwardly by Christ that reconciliation with the community is just simply a natural byproduct of spiritual maturity because nothing is outside of forgiveness and the true love of Christ. If you grasp how much you are loved by God in Christ and given the Holy Spirit. It's a natural byproduct to love others and forgive the way that Christ forgives. Because it so changes you. Because it's so foreign than what the way the world works. See, the reality is that we are to love the way that Christ loves. Paul Tripp says this, the best defense for the existence of Jesus is when two or more Christians live together in self-sacrificing love. You are the incarnation of God's love. When you love the way that God loves, when you forgive the way that God forgives. Brad Bresson, a pastor friend of mine, had this up on his Facebook. He said, it's hell to keep counting what God is no longer counting. Are there things you haven't forgiven that God has already forgiven the person for? Things you're still holding on to? Things you won't release? And this can be in the church, it can be at work, it can be in your families. Some of you are dreading this Christmas season. Because you don't want to go and see that relative or that person or listen to one more time of being put down or hurt or being marginalized. Or even for some, forgotten. And yet we've been given the opportunity to be the church. Because when the church does what it's supposed to, it talks about love being perfected. 
See, again, it's an act of love. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us this. I can't see that. Love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy and it never boasts. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. For love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. See, and again, that's easy to say. (laughs) Hard to do. So here's us looking forward to the second advent. Because, listen, Christ did pay for our sins. And he's not in the grave, he's alive. And he's coming back. And he's coming back sooner than you think. And so are we truly being love incarnate? So here's what I ask of you to apply this sermon. If you know you have offended someone, seek forgiveness. Seek it. Reestablish those relationships. Stop having conversations in your head that don't really happen. Go back and restore. If you are someone who has been offended, grant forgiveness. Grant it. This place, more than anywhere else in the world, should be a place of incarnate love as we await the return of Jesus Christ. Because he doesn't come as a lowly infant next time. He comes as the conquering king. And he will judge. He judges perfectly. So let's love the way that Christ has first loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you because we are so grateful that you are the essence of love. And Father, you didn't just tell us about love. You showed us what love truly is by giving your son, Jesus Christ, who then freely gave himself, humbling himself to come as an infant child, living a perfect life we could never live, but then to give to us his propitiation, his dying on the cross, forgiving our sins. But Lord, he's not there. He's with you and even now still intercedes for us and still prays for us to be what we're supposed to be. Like he told his disciples that great commandment that he gave before he left. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And so, Father, may each one of us take to heart this Advent season, what it means to love unconditionally. 
Lord, that we would truly grasp and understand the First Corinthians passage that, Lord, we wouldn't keep records wrong. We wouldn't say that I'm not going to come to this because that person's there or this person upsets me so much that I wouldn't want to do this or do that. Lord, we need mercy and grace for ourselves and for everyone else. And so, Father, let us love the way that you have loved us. Unselfish unending, and forever forgiving. For this truly is our hope, and it's our desire. And so, Father, we do pray this Advent season. Thank you for the first Advent, but, Lord, we look forward to the second Advent. No more pain. No more sorrow. Perfect love. May we be living it out, even now, to everyone we see. For we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.